Shit, I'm never like you know it's but you pack it with the automatics. We gon' set them to have it. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, hey. Welcome back, guys. Tom Kyatt here, Fitness and Conditioning Strategies 101. This is part three of the series, the tactical guide to strength training and hypertrophy training. Straight up, to me, training is a science. I enjoy it from the standpoint of testing myself, acting as a scientist to my own body and my own health. I always hated seeming like a, a muscle head, a gym bro. The very act, actually, of going to a commercial gym and having to share space with another person never appealed to me. Listening to music I didn't want to listen to, waiting for equipment while someone else was doing something ridiculous or stupid or useless, hard pass. I just wanted the results. Ask most people if they're making progress or getting results, and most can't give you any kind of quantitative evidence to say that they look any different from six months ago, let alone two, three years ago. Sure, one might look better because they got leaner, their muscles show better. Another might look bigger because he's on something, but for the most part, most people don't change. So what's the point of this podcast? Here's seven strategies I use to take my progress to the next level with the goal of helping you as well. Number one, Protein, the basic building block of the body. If you don't have enough protein in your diet, you're not going anywhere, period. So how much do you need? 1 to 1.2 grams per pound of lean muscle mass to build muscle and or repair muscle after productive breakdown of the muscle tissue is required. Anyone who tells you you only need 60 grams based on the World Health Organization or whatever health body is telling you, that's the bare minimum. They're talking about the emaciated person on the other side of this planet who is barely getting enough protein. They are talking about the bare minimum, not the person who is into fitness, who wants to do any kind of productive training let alone you know the optimal amount for anyone looking to make productive gains i'm asking you do you know your totals secondly is what you're consuming enough to grow and repair if not you're best served not even spending a lot of time in the gym your efforts are going to be counterproductive now for those of you who are saying well you can only handle 30 to 40 grams per sitting you've heard that right Understand something. Whoever has said that is a fucking moron because what they neglect to tell you is that's utilization rate per hour, which varies from person to person. Somebody's huge 300 pound muscle guy. Guess what? It's a lot more than 40 grams per sitting. You get a nice little petite person who's five foot two. Well, it's probably not 30. It might be 25 grams per sitting. Guess what? That's utilization rate per hour, meaning guess what happens hour two? You have the next five ounces just sitting in your body ready to be utilized. It's that simple. Don't be afraid to bring your protein totals up. By the same token, I wouldn't overshoot dramatically to ensure that you're building muscles. Get what your body needs, period. That's it. Number two, for those of you who are training every day or even four or five times per week with any sort of 
significant intensity. Unless you're training for a more endurance-based event like an Ironman, you're doing more harm than good training so hard. The specific goal of training is to get a training effect. You want to provide the stimulus for adaptation. That's it. That's only going to happen through days off and proper rest, sleep, recovery. Remember, the day after training is for recuperative purposes. In the case of building muscle, you break down the muscle in the gym. The next day, it recuperates to the extent that it was before you broke it down. It's the next day after that that your body actually overcompensates with new growth. Why would anyone want to rush this process so that they could train more? More is not better. Great concept for making money, not for training. The sleep portion, nothing repairs the body more than proper sleep. You know that. I know that. Why do you think babies sleep all the time? They need it for growth. You do too. Strategy number three, time under tension. You want muscular, muscular hypertrophy? Put the muscle under continuous tension for anywhere between 30 and 50 seconds, depending on the body part. This means you're not just lifting the weight, but rather you're contracting the muscle. And you're doing it through all three phases of the lift. The contraction phase, where you're not using momentum, you're not swinging up the weight. It makes me utterly sick to my stomach to see a CrossFit chin up where they use momentum to get their bodies up and they say, well, I did 20 chin-ups. No, you didn't. You did like freaking 20 kip-ups. That's not a chin-up. You're not contracting the muscles. I'm talking about a controlled movement through the full range of motion. Part two is where you squeeze the muscle momentarily in an isometric contraction at the top of the movement of a pec deck, for example, and you hold this for about a second or two. The final part is the controlled eccentric part of the lift where you're returning to the starting position, squeezing the muscle. So many people rush that part of the movement. When you do that through the entire range of motion, concentrating on squeezing throughout, now that takes concentration. That's the effort you need under tension for the entire lift for you to trigger the response needed for improvement. What you need to do is avoid locking out. For example, let's say you're squatting and you're standing straight for any significant length of the time during the squat. Why would somebody do that? It's relief, relief from the tension on your muscles. Maybe you need to breathe a little bit. The only time you would do this is upon completion of your set with the intent that maybe you're going to do one or two more forced reps under the supervision of a spotter. I see so many people use momentum to get the weight up. It's ridiculous. Then what do they do? They lock out at the top of the movement. Then finally what they do is they rapidly return the weight to its original position. Your time under tension goes from peak muscular contraction of 45 seconds out of 45 seconds to about 20 seconds out of 45 seconds. Utter garbage. We're not here to lift weights, pick things up and put them down. What we're here to do is stimulate the muscles. When you nail this type of tension down, you will see max results. Understanding this sort of concentration intensity will also mean fewer sets. Strategy number four, fiber type training. What the hell does that mean? 
When somebody says do three sets of 10, why three sets? Why 10 reps? How long does each rep take? This seems all so arbitrary. Where did they come up with this shit anyway? Certain muscle groups will respond best to the type of fiber that they are predominantly made of. Muscles like the pecs, the arms, the biceps really do well with lower rep ranges. Why? They're predominantly fast twitch. The same goes with hamstrings. A lower rep count will really develop them. Understanding this will dramatically change your workout approach when it comes to rep count. Quads, abs, calves, they tend to have a greater capacity for work and a greater amount of slow twitch muscle fibers. They need higher reps. I've seen some bodybuilders who respond best, for example, with 6 to 10 reps on the chest. And when it comes down to legs, they need to train with 16 to 20 to properly stimulate their quads. So when you say to somebody you need to do three sets of 10, you've just ripped them off on both counts because you didn't understand that person's needs. How do I know what's right for a person? I think if you really just take a good look at a person's body type and put them through a preliminary workout, you can discover what they need. Sometimes it's obvious as how to how to proceed. Other times, a safer rep range of 10 to 20, sorry, 10 to 12 may be in order. The point I'm trying to make here is you need to put some calculated thought into your routine rather than just relying on generalized numbers that may not apply to your body. Strategy number five, the pre-exhaust technique. Eight times out of 10, unless there's a genetic freak out there, your chest will only grow in proportion to the strength of your triceps. The chest press, bench press if you want to call it, the weak link is um, in that lift is your triceps. It will always give out before you properly stimulate your chest. Always. This is especially true if you have long arms. Notice those people with really short arms and big barrel chests can bench press a lot. The only way around this is to pre-exhaust your chest through cable flies or a pec deck. So what ends up happening is your chest becomes the weak link over your triceps. In this case, the pre-exhaust technique is a hugely valuable tool in your arsenal. Guess what other exercise is the same case? It's your back. The same can be said for your back. Your forearms, your biceps will always give out before your back does especially if you're not using straps for lifts and you won't build um, a bigger back. Instead, what you're going to do is you're going to overtrain your biceps. You're going to have wrist problems. You're going to have overarching tight forearms, and you're probably going to have inner elbow pains eventually. Again, the only way around this is pre-exhausting the lats with a pullover type movement. You don't see the pullover machine. So if you don't know what that is, look it up type in pullover machine, you'll see some guys using it. You don't see this machine in the gym because it seems unsafe for newbies. But anyone in the golden era of bodybuilding swore by this as one of the most effective exercises for back because it took the biceps out of the equation completely. Now, especially if you wanted to target lower back, sorry, target your back and subsequent pull down or rows uh, afterwards, again, pre-exhausting the back so they become the weak link over the biceps is highly recommended. The third body part that benefits dramatically from a pre-exhaust is quads. I'm a big fan of controlled 
moderate weight reps on leg extensions after thoroughly warming up um, your knees to build up your quads. So what I'll do is, again, you take a weight that you can handle for about 10, 12, 15 reps, and you bring that weight up, a good count of four or five, squeeze at the top of the movement for the leg extension for about four or five moments, and then bring it down in a controlled manner. Right afterwards, leg presses and squats are great exercises, but I find that because of their compound nature, you're gonna activate your muscles in a way that your hips, your hamstrings, and your glutes are activated heavily without fully activating your quads. So when you pre-exhaust your thighs with a leg extension, it changes the dynamics to make your quads the primary beneficiary of the stimulus you wanna provide for your quads. I'll tell you what else it does. It lowers the amount of weight that you're lifting on a squat or a leg press so that you prevent an aneurysm or something stupid like that. For all of you heavy lifters, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember doing 475 pounds on the squat for five reps and doing it in front of a mirror. I looked at my eyes. I thought my eyeballs were going to pop out. I was scared shitless. My face turned so red. I had uh, blood vessels around my eyes that were just popped. It looked horrible. It looked like I'd been crying for a day and all I was doing was squats. It was the same with a leg press, 1,200 pounds, where if you didn't tear your quads during the lift, you're going to fuck up something in your face for sure. So doing the leg extensions first to wear down your quads meant instead of doing 1,200 for a leg press, you were doing 800. I'm going to tell you right now, it was significantly less taxing on the body. And I'll tell you right now, also, nothing is more dangerous than lifts like a squat on the back of your neck or being under a heavy leg press. So if you can avoid that by training smart, i.e. pre-exhaust your legs with leg extensions, do it. It's a smart man's training uh, to effectively stimulating those body parts. Strategy number six, rest pause. I don't even understand what the term rest pause means. I mean, you rest, you pause at the same time, but it's some dialogue that's used in the gym. So that simply refers to the phase of the lift where you go until momentary failure, that critical rep that stimulates muscle growth, and you pause for a period of about three to five seconds. And then what you do is you complete one or two more reps. Here's why this high intensity tactic is so amazing. Rather than resting for two minutes before doing a second set of, let's say, biceps, you've already reached momentary failure on that set number one, that last rep. Why not bypass completely the reps leading to momentary failure on set two? Since reps number one through nine on a 10 rep lift don't even serve you like the last one does, bypass one through nine and just do the last rep of set two. The only way this is possible is by waiting about three to five seconds, the rest pause, before hitting that rep. This, my friend, is a powerful tool as long as you're training infrequently, meaning your volume is low and you're allowing your body to rest adequately after a taxing workout. Rest pause is to be used sparingly, strategically, otherwise you will overtrain. The other thing too is you may want to have a workout partner supervise you for some of those lifts. The final strategy, number seven, hydration levels, salt, and body temperature. 
We're talking about priming up your body, optimizing your body for performance, never mind stimulants. When you are well hydrated, you perform better, period. Secondly, salt intake aids in fuel balance. For those of you who train and you sweat on a regular basis, notice how your skin tastes after a workout. You by accidentally you know, you rub your, your face against your tongue and you, you sorry, your hand against your tongue and you taste your skin. You've expelled a shitload of salt. You can taste your skin. It's salty. You need to restore that balance with salt intake. Especially if you're eating healthy and not getting a lot of salt from processed foods. Adequate, um, combined with adequate hydration, with adequate levels of salt in your body, you are going to have a better pump in your muscles. You will do more reps and you will perform much better than in a salt deficient dehydrated state. You take a look at any power lifter out there. Power lifters, if they are hydrated and well salted up, they will lift so much better than a person who is salt deficient and or dehydrated. Finally, if your body temperature is too high, you're overheating. It will affect your workout. This can also be said for training in a colder environment, but for different reasons. You run the risk of injury from it being too cold and your muscles are not fully warmed up. I say this because my workout suffers in the heat unless I have physically done something to bring down my body temperature. I take a shower, a cold shower before I train because I live in the tropics. It's super hot here. There you have it. Seven wicked strategies. Incorporate these into your carefully crafted workout schedule with a specific intent to make progress and you will dramatically accelerate your progress in the gym. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Subscribe, share with your friends, and be sure to check out the Ultimate Men's Playbook available now at Amazon.com.